1: Ben Jarofsky Show. Benny J. Bonus Interview is brought to you in part by the International Association of Machinists and Aerospace Workers, Local 126 in District 8, the International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local 9, the International Union of Operating Engineers, Local 150, and the Chicago Federation of Labor. Benny J., take it away. It's bonus time in the Ben Jarofsky Show, Friday, December 27th. Man, dang. Friday, December 27th. Happy birthday Uh, to my brother, Corey. Happy birthday to Corey. And uh, as we do, uh, it's uh, on bonus time. I always like to point out that you can be listening to this anytime because it's a podcast. It's the beauty of a podcast. As we do with uh, all our bonus shows, I ask our distinguished guest to introduce him or herself. So distinguished guest,
0: introduce yourself. I'm feeling very distinguished. This is (laughs) Nick Dumkey old friend and uh, collaborator of Benny J's. Yes, and now uh, ace reporter for ProPublica. Let's get the
1: promotion out for the publication or uh, the operation (laughs) that you work for, right, Mick? Uh,
0: You'd think that I would know how to do such things at this point in history, but uh, thanks for the reminder, Ben. Yes, I do work as a reporter for ProPublica, nonprofit journalism organization. We do investigative reporting. So thanks.
1: Uh, And uh, Mick and I, for many, many years, were collaborators at The the Reader. We wrote... I would say dozens of stories together. Can't I? I have. I've never actually taken the time to count up all the stories uh, we wrote together. And for many years, we were co-hosts. Uh, first Tuesdays at the Hideout. Uh, Mick dropped a bombshell earlier this year uh, that he had enough. He was moving on to spend more time with his family. Uh, and uh, so, how's that family time coming, Mick?
0: <laughs> well, you've seen uh, my wife more yeah. than I have today, uh, since she's yeah. in your studio. Yeah. Um, so. Well, uh, you know, I'm working on it, Ben. What can I say? I'm working
1: on it. All right. Now, I had a whole list of things that I, I told Mick I wanted to talk to him about as we came to uh, the end of the year, and uh, uh, and when I called him up, we're doing this interview by phone. He's not in the studio. So, uh, and but then right before the interview began, it hit me, Mick, that one of the things I had said I hadn't mentioned to you that I uh, that we should talk about is what's in the headlines right now. And that is, finally, Illinois has legalized a recreational reefer. Uh, Mick and I, very proud of the articles we wrote back in 2011 and 2012. We did several articles uh, pointing out the uh, inequities of the way the marijuana laws were enforced. Everybody smoked it. But basically, only black people uh, got arrested and busted for it. And I like to think we were ahead of the curve on that one, Mick. What do you think?
0: I think so. Uh, People used to make fun of me. I I would go to press conferences to try to catch the mayor or uh, the police superintendent at the time. And I remember being uh, teased, mocked uh, in a good-natured way, but nevertheless, uh, given a hard time by other reporters for uh, asking questions about marijuana. One uh, of our colleagues in the business announced at one of these events, Mick Dunkey trying to make the world safe for potheads. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, that was, uh, you know, it was funny, but that was honestly the way a lot of people saw it back then. You know, uh, what are you doing? You know, can't you get your hand—it it was as if we were trying to get our hands on Better Reefer for yeah. ourselves, but that was why we were yeah. writing it, yeah. which the whole point, of course, was that, you know, um, as middle-class white guys, uh, if we wanted to, we could probably call around and get pretty good stuff ourselves and use it with near impunity, even in public. Yeah. And, uh, that was not true for everybody. So, you know, that was always my honest answer was, look, if I, if I want to get my hands on some pot, I can do it. And it's really not an issue for me. Whereas for others, um, you know, this is a very, uh, very public way, uh, for law enforcement to try to crack down on, you know, public displays of, uh, what they saw as criminality in certain neighborhoods, but not in others. Yeah, no, it, it really hit home
1: uh, going to the courthouses throughout the city with you uh, when we were doing those first few stories and just seeing the parade of black defendants being brought before the judge uh, that if I, I would uh, that that woke me up to the reality that this was a very important story. And so I'm really happy uh, that obviously that the state got around to uh, legalizing weed, but I have to say this, Mick, I don't know. I've never, I never confessed this to you. I wonder if you had a similar feeling at some point I had a postpartum feeling like, uh, is this all there is? And then particularly when there was the, the reefer revolt, uh, in, in the Chicago city council, when, uh, the, the, the black alderman of the city council, uh, rose up against mayor light, foot and try to uh, force the city to hire more uh, uh black people in the in the in the business or at least to farm out some of the uh, permits to black owned companies to sell marijuana uh, they were talking about having a delay they had an uh, actual measure that would delay it for six months i was rooting for them so it's so ironic Mick i spent all this time imploring the state to legalize marijuana they finally listened to us they legalized it and then i said no delay it
0: <laughs> <laughs> well and you, you and i of course are not policy makers but I think we tried to do our jobs as journalists to highlight this issue and get people talking about it and you know we succeeded in our own modest way and you're right now flash forward to 2018 2019 I had mixed feelings as well and in mine were um, similar to yours some of the same particular issues that this has always been for you and I an issue of social equity and and fairness and then to see uh, the way it's unfolded um, where there are going to basically be people who are, um, you know, who have money, who have resources. They were the only ones who were able for a number of reasons to get into the medical business. You need startup funds. You can't go to the traditional banking or loan route uh, for something that is still considered an illegal activity at the federal level. And uh, so, for a number of reasons, you know, it's basically all. I don't think you, I think you take away the basically. It's all white people who are involved in the businesses that are poised to open on January first. Now, there's a whole detailed, complicated discussion. Uh, people like our ongoing, longtime acquaintance Christian Mitchell, who now works in the administration of uh, J.B. Pritzker. Um, I've seen some of the things he's responded about uh, you know, the way he's responded to the, the city council's black caucus um, moves, attempts to try to slow things down. He's saying, well, you know, we worked really hard on the social equity part of this. This is built in. Um, there is still stuff to be seen don 't mix up you know the start with this with the way it 's going to be uh, set up for the whole time it 's in place okay, point well made but you 're right Ben some of the same concerns we had all along remain concerns in addition to that, just speaking you know in in broad uh, generic terms, you know does either do either you and I believe that the state of illinois won 't screw this up yeah. in some way yeah. i mean uh, what is the track record here of other uh, so-called vices that have been legalized? Look at the lottery. That was supposed to all be education funding, and we can go on down the list.
1: Yeah, and I, I have to say, I, I have pointed this out uh, on the air and in the column. I, the, the Christian Mitchell, Tori Hutchinson, uh, Governor Pritzker, Mayor Lightfoot, all these uh, uh, prominent people in the state of Illinois were urging uh, the the aldermen in Chicago, the black aldermen in Chicago, to drop their measure, to, uh, not to in any way delay their uh, uh, implementation of the law. We must. It's imperative. They all, as as one said, we must uh, have the shops open January 1st so the money can pour in. Any delay uh, is absolutely, uh, uh, it's going to hamper this program. We're depending on this money, et cetera, and so forth. I had a laugh, Mick, because when it came to dealing with the real painful inequities of the war on drugs, It was always like, what's the
0: rush? What's the hurry? Nobody was in any. Let's slow down. Let's make sure we get this right. We can't just rush into something we don't know anything about. People could be hurt, of course. But I would say the only thing I would say about that is just to add to it is there were people uh, moving to stop this process in the name of social equality within the black caucus who I remember being on the record against legalization altogether. Okay. So everyone has shifted. I shouldn't say everyone, a large number of people have shifted over just the last couple of years on these different issues. And so I think, what we can safely conclude is the politics of pot uh, remains uh, in evolution, as it has been since we've been writing about this. Yeah, no, I, uh, I oh, I remember uh, the the
1: the politicians when we were first searched those quotes. Uh, most of them didn't even want to go on the record. It was, they could not figure out a way to deal with this issue uh, in a public manner. So they mostly just pretend it was non-existent. And then off the record would tell you, yeah, I got high last weekend. You know, it was a, the contradictions and the hypocrisies mix were a little uh, too much to take. But uh, I should move on. I should let it go. It's now legal. <laughs> they finally did the right thing. Uh, and I should it should be I should be able to accept victory. How about that? You know what I'm saying? Just accept it. Uh, we were on the right side of something there
0: yeah I you know your uh your your wife and your therapist would probably tell you the same thing uh <laughs> be happy with the small victories when you get them right? All right. small and large victories I don't want to claim this is a small victory um but it's definitely a sign that uh things can change yeah. in politics in uh people's social views and I find that part of it actually the most encouraging of all a setting aside the specifics of the policy um you know, I, I was never out there rooting for a particular policy outcome. I, you know, I don't know the best way to implement this or anything like that. But the fact that people can uh, finally look at evidence, think things over, and decide maybe it's time to change that I find very encouraging.
1: All right. And by the way, a lot more work needs to be done in this uh, to deal with the social inequities. And I'd like to say, I don't know if you saw this, but my uh, beloved hometown of Evanston uh, has a program on it. It's uh, where a portion of the tax that they slap uh, on the sale of recreational uh, weed will be going for uh, social equity programs, like providing more mortgages uh, for black people in Evanston. So, it is possible to use this, I think, in a positive way. Let's hope uh, people emulate Evanston. All right, uh, let's move on to the next uh, item that I wanted to talk to you about. Uh, we're almost a, a full year into the reign of uh, Lori Lightfoot, uh, Mayor Lori Lightfoot. I did not see this coming in any way, Mick. We're at the end of the year, and I'm thinking back uh, to where I was about a year ago. Uh, well, I did not see Lori Lightfoot emerging in the uh, uh, the primary uh, to be one of the top two contenders, you know to su- to survive the first round of the election, so I have to say, I was completely uh, caught off guard by her victory. Uh, what about you? did
0: you uh, w- were you caught off guard as well? I was um, especially if you think about it as t- sitting here today versus sitting here a calendar year ago. It's kind of unfathomable. But of course, that's not how things work. Things work in various stages. Right. So um, there were a lot of events that happened that led up to her surge at the polls, most notably the uh, raid raids of Ed Burke's offices Mm -hmm. at the end of uh, 2018. Right. And and the you know, the slow, steady drip of who else Ed Burke has political ties to, fundraising ties to, whatever, who else was tainted by all of that steady drip, most notably Tony Preckwinkle. So I think, um, nobody saw it. I mean, if anybody tells you they saw it, I think is, is, I I just have find that very hard to believe. Um, but you know, if you look at, um, You know, after Ed Burke's indictment, after all the bad press Tony Preckwinkle got, all the stumbles she had, and then you sit here and you say a few months later, are you surprised um, that it wasn't Tony Preckwinkle? If you think about it that way, well, maybe it's a little less surprising. But you're right. This person, Lori Lightfoot, that uh, many, not only many Chicagoans, but many Chicago voters uh, didn't know much, if anything, about, and now she's... um, mayor yeah that's that's an astounding story now i will say it hasn't been a full year hasn't been close to a full year since she's been in office she was sworn in at the end of may so mm-hmm. she's really been in for uh about seven months so uh we don't even have a full calendar year of her tenure yet uh, maybe ben it feels like more than a year yeah, for you does. i'm not <laughs> sure but um It seems like she's been mayor for a long time. What's your thoughts about the
1: tone, (laughs) tenor, and substance of those seven months uh, under Mayor Lori Lightfoot?
0: I think, in fairness to Mayor Lightfoot, I know you like to laugh whenever I say And to be fair, uh, I think it's been pretty up and down. I mean, I think she uh, blasted out of the gate declaring she was going to set a new tone and has tried to um, follow through in a few campaign promises via... Uh, uh, executive order, most notably reigning in some of the day-to-day unilateral powers that aldermen have over their wards. Uh, but many of the other promises, and there were a long list of them uh, that she made during the heat of the campaign, uh, have not been, uh, not only not been fulfilled yet, but she has uh, gone back on them. Um, and I also think that while she is very clearly established that she's not Rahm Emanuel and uh, many uh, among the electorate, including perhaps uh, you, uh, are pretty happy about that. <laughs> uh, I also think people are getting used to her own style. I mean, uh, you know, Lori is quite a character herself. Um, she is very sharp, very smart, oftentimes blunt. She's also can be really prickly. Um, and uh, you once, I remember, described uh, Tony Preckwinkle, uh, Lori's vanquished foe in the mayoral race, as utterly humorless. <laughs> uh, I'm, wonder, I'm wondering if you're willing to say that about Lori. I mean, you and I interviewed her live at the hideout, and she showed a lot of personality, a lot of pizzazz, uh, had some good Good one-liners, but gotta say, since she's been in office, I mean, I'm not saying the job is terribly fun, but I don't think she's shown that much of her person out that side of her personality since she's been in office. What do you think? Well,
1: I, I, I you, you uh, reminded me of the Hideout show. I remember one moment where I thought, "Oh, this Lori life could be uh, a breath of fresh air in the city of Chicago," and it came when. I can't rem. I I I think the question had to deal with. Um, oh, it was Tony Preckwinkle's uh, and her campaign was raising the notion that uh, Lori Lightfoot's life began and ended uh, when she became a corporate lawyer. And that's all she was, was a corporate lawyer. So she they tagged her with that label, corporate lawyer. You remember this? And so do yeah. you want to elect Chicago a corporate lawyer <clears throat> or a cop? And other people said a cop. And um, so it was a shorthand way of... Of sort of making her into a stereotype, putting her into a box, so it would be easier to dismiss her, marginalize her, and so I asked some variation. Uh, I, that theme was part of a question I asked in one variation or another. I can't remember what it is. And she smiled and said something along the lines, uh, "I am going to treat that as though it was serious question." And that was a very, and people laughed, and it was a vis- very disarming way of saying, "I think that's a BS." Uh, question the accusations ridiculous and absurd but I know I have to deal with it and so then she yeah. went on to say that I you know obviously I was born in Ohio she gave a, a rendition of her life that she uh, uh, trots out a lot when she's under uh, uh, threat you know she gave up a working-class family uh, and uh, black family in uh, rural Ohio et cetera, and so forth so it's not like she you know came on the earth and was immediately a corporate lawyer she had real-life experience before this, and that right. is a much a part of who she is as being a corporate lawyer. So I, I said, wow, this is—I uh, I, I like the way she answered the question. I thought she was disarming. I thought she was funny. I didn't think she was arrogant. So I liked that about her, and I was hoping I would see more of that uh, as mayor of the city of Chicago. Uh, what I've seen a lot of, Mick, not that sense of humor, but— you. Which you call bluntness, a little bit of nastiness, um, you know, quick to turn on people who are opposing her, uh, marginalizing them, demonizing them. Which she, some of the things she said about uh, Jason Irvin, the uh, the chairman of the Black Caucus in the City Council, who led the opposition uh, or who led the call for delaying the uh, implementation of reefer law, showed that she kind of take took the issue personally. Um, and uh, so I was a little disappointed. I, I wish I had seen more of the Lori Lightfoot that we saw on stage. And also on substantive matters, when she was on the stage with us, I don't know if you remember this, we were asking her about the Lincoln Yards development deal. I mean, the hideout's right in the middle of it all. And she point blank said she was against it. Uh, right. And then she did very little to, to kill it. And then when there was a lawsuit... Uh, that was intended to kill it. And when she was the mayor, she sent in city lawyers to fight that. So I I have to admit, I I wish I had, I I wish Mayor Lightfoot was more like candidate Lightfoot, at least a candidate Lightfoot that was on the stage of the hideout.
0: Yeah, well, I think that's the classic story, isn't it? People campaign one way, then they get in office and, uh, they do something else now if we're going to be as generous as possible uh, you can say that uh, perhaps she was earnest when she was speaking to us on the hideout and she was answering questions on the stump and she got into office and you know learned how it really worked and she decided she had overpromised some things uh, that is the danger I think of Having a candidate who 's never held elected office before, I mean you know we 're in an era where everyone wants fresh faces, but then they get in there and you realize, well, this person actually doesn 't really know what he or she is doing mm-hmm. you know it doesn 't mean they can 't learn, but uh you know seven months in, I think she 's still trying to find her footing yeah. um, and you 're right, I think the one thing that has uh, surprised me a little bit um, is that uh especially in contrast to her campaign. Style. I mean, she ended up becoming a pretty good campaigner, Ben, yeah. you know, she was a novice campaigner too, a first time candidate and she ended up being pretty good on the stump as we were describing. I mean, you know, uh, really coming across as a human being, um, someone who's very smart, someone who had a story to tell that wasn't typical, um, you know, she's not from Chicago. She didn't pretend that she, uh, you know, she didn't present some sort of false credentials about, uh, being from Chicago or whatever she told us she's from Ohio. This is her story. Um, so really kind of a, a shift. And I thought she ended up performing very well. Um, she just was a good campaigner, especially by the end, but, um, you know, it's a lot different to be a campaigner than to be a politician, let alone a governing official. And so, I think the transition from campaigner to public a fit, public politician in uh, under the spotlight every single day. I think uh, if we're going to be as charitable as possible, I think she's still figuring it out. And that's where some of that prickly stuff comes in. I mean, there's opportunities to have a little fun once in a while. It's a tough job, but you could still have fun. And just to be personable, to be a little bit, uh, let your guard down a little bit. Mm -hmm. Um, And instead, I feel like she's in certain instances... As you mentioned, gone out of her way to kind of stick the knife in and twist a little bit um, in ways that weren't necessary. Uh, I know in her first, remember her first city council meeting, she basically told Ed Burke to sit down and (laughs) shut the F up um, in as many words. And we all know that that was uh, a bit of a public performance to try to let everybody know who was in charge. Uh, but she's continued to sort of – she says things that are just, like, kind of unnecessary put-downs once in a while, from my viewpoint. Maybe she's got a strategy for it. Maybe she maybe that is who she is, and she's being as authentic as possible. I don't know. But, um, you know, that part of it, I, I guess I've been a little bit surprised.
1: Well, by. i got to tell you, I did not see this coming Base Again, going back to the hideout uh, performance, one of the things – I remember we asked her about – uh, the Chicago Teachers Union, the Chicago Teachers Union at the time uh, was engineering commercials or helping pay for commercials. They were really hitting her hard. And I think unfairly, as much as I love the Chicago Teachers Union. Uh, and and so we I can't remember if it was you or I, one of us uh, asked her, you know, how she was going to deal with the teachers union uh, when all was said and done. It was she going to hold a grudge against them? And I don't know if you remember, Mick, but she said, no, I will not hold a grudge. I understand that this is an election and things are said in elections that we uh, perhaps don't really mean. And when it's all said and done, we move on. I'll, I'll govern and. With uh, respect to teachers union, respect Karen Lewis, et cetera, and so forth. I haven't seen that side of her, particularly in gar- anyone who dares to cross her gets a one two punch right back, including the Chicago Teachers Union. So uh, I think we're seeing the real deal with
0: Lori Lightfoot. <laughs> <laughs> that may be. That you know? may be just how she rolls, and uh, I, I certainly get the impression that she and her team came away from the second round of balloting. They won whatever, 60-whatever percent of the vote, and they really came away saying people voted for Lori Lightfoot. We're going to give them Lori Lightfoot. Yeah. And they really felt that they had a very strong mandate, and uh, that's that's a high percentage. I didn't see her winning by that margin. Um, I don't know about you. Uh, on the other hand, Ben, i got to say, I think it's a mistake to interpret that as an outpouring of uh, energy and, uh, you know, massive support for Lori Lightfoot specifically. I think it was a rejection of uh, Toni Preckwinkle and what people concluded that she stood for as much as it was an embrace of Lori Lightfoot. And so um, we'll see what that ends up meaning down the stretch but you saw a little bit of that i think in the in the teacher strike the lead up to the teacher strike the negotiations um and by the way you and i've discussed this offline many times i certainly didn't put all of the strike at lori lightfoot's feet i think that what you're saying about the grudge uh was very much two-sided at in that instance it it there were some very serious and important issues on the table uh, that goes without saying but uh it also really felt very personal from both sides um as an observer uh you know, um, a distant observer f- from where I sat. Um, but you're right. I mean, this is where Lori is right now and she doesn't want to take any nonsense. And when she's irked at somebody, she, you know, she doesn't hide it. Um, I just don't, and that's fine. You know, that's her prerogative. I don't know how well that's going to sell going forward. I think that, uh, Rahm Emanuel's very dismissive style of critics I think wore thin really quickly so I don't know maybe people like Lori Lightfoot maybe they believe in her and her policies more than they ultimately did uh, with Rahm Uh, but I think that that was one of the reasons Rob became so unpopular was his, his style as much Absolutely.
1: as his policy. Well, I'll go one step further. Lori Lightfoot did have a mandate. Lori Lightfoot won, I believe, 75% of the vote uh, against... Uh, Tony Perkwinkle, seventy-five percent of the vote make that's a commanding victory. She won every single ward in the city, I believe. I think she even won the fourth ward, Tony Perkwinkle's home ward. Uh, so she had a greater mandate, I think, than Mayor Daly did in his last election. I, I don't think Daly got seventy; maybe he did. I don't know. I can't remember anymore. But she got a commanding mandate. Whenever I say this, uh, my friends of the leftist persuasion quickly point out that roughly
0: sixty-five percent of the people didn't vote. So well that's always the case yeah. though. I mean, you know, it's it's fine. Uh I I the, I just disagree with you a little bit that I think there was a mandate um as much of a mandate to vote against uh Tony Prescott as there was to vote for Lori Lightfoot. Um but you're right then that the end result was the same is that people overwhelmingly said we want uh, this is the choice we're going to make. Yeah. So um you know, we'll see. We'll see if it if it uh, if the goodwill lasts. I mean, again, she's it seems longer, but she's only been in office for about seven
1: months. All right. Now, speaking of politicians who do not have a mandate, uh, Donald John Trump. Uh, he, in contrast to Lori Lightfoot, he didn't even win the popular election. He lost. He got to be the president anyway. I'm not going to ask you to go on and on about electoral college. Maybe we'll do that deep dive another time. Uh, and here we are as we come into uh, 2020. Mick, he's being impeached. Uh, you know, you don't f- cover national politics on a regular ba- uh, basis. But uh, like me, you share an obsession with presidential politics uh, and uh, y- your thoughts about the impeachment of Donald Trump uh, as opposed to the impeachment that you live through. The impeachment of Bill Clinton, uh, similarities, contrasts, uh, themes, and et cetera, and so
0: forth. Well, I. Um I guess the similarities are that it feels very partisan, although it's far worse now than it was. In uh, was he impeached in 1998? Was that uh, was that the year? It was yeah. late in. It was yeah. It was mid middle to late in the second term, mm-hmm. um, and uh, the the of course the party's roles were essentially reversed at that time, uh, and I think the other similarity to me. Uh, The strongest case in both instances was obstruction of justice, was just simply the fact that no one is above the law. And uh, in Clinton, to me, that was uh, really the only compelling argument. I didn't like the personal behavior of Bill Clinton. I never thought that rose to an impeachable offense, Uh, but I... You know, it was it was perhaps more convincing the fact that he eluded uh, the truth. You know, he didn't tell the truth. He lied. Let's just come right out and yeah. it um, fudged around the truth. Uh, didn't you know? Disclose uh, the information and uh, basically tried to weasel out of it. Um, even on that ground, I think, uh, if we're going to contrast them, I think Donald Trump and his administration have behaved far worse. I mean, they have not responded to congressional subpoenas. That alone, to me, uh, is deserving of uh, removal from office. It's You know, you're supposed to be the highest uh, official following the law on the land, and it's like a, you know, basic... Government principle, the separation of powers, and he's not respecting congressional authority in the least, turning his nose up at it, uh, propagandizing against it, Uh, I I find that to be... That in itself is a compelling reason to go forward with the impeachment process. Uh, And uh, the comparison with Nixon.
1: Now, you weren't you were a wee lad. You weren't you you weren't following in real time. (laughs) But I know you you have an obsession uh, of sorts with Nixon and you've read a lot about it and seen all the movies, et cetera and so forth. How do you contrast those two cases?
0: Well, I think that it started off perhaps similarly, that I think uh, is my understanding of of history is that initially uh, many, if not most Republicans rallied around Nixon and tried to uh, minimize the severity of the charges against him. Uh, But um, the difference, of course, was that a lot of Republicans along the way became disgusted by the behavior of Nixon and his cronies. There are many attempts, again, to obstruct the inquiry. Um, you know, he fire, fired a special prosecutor. And uh, unlike now, the START contracts, as we have. Now the uh, uh, leader of the Senate, uh, Mitch McConnell, coming right out and saying that he's coordinating with the White House and that there's no chance that the impeachment will go forward. I mean, there's uh, basically saying that there's no chance there will be a trial or anything resembling a credible inquiry in the Senate, Uh, whereas... There were a group of Republican senators who, in the end, uh, went to Nixon and told him it's over, and that precipitated his, uh, you know, resignation. Um, I believe it was Barry Goldwater and uh, a couple other senators. You know, Barry Goldwater, the. Previous, really the leader of the conservative wing of the Republican Party, right, yeah. who, who went to Nixon and, and told him uh, or called him, contacted him and said, listen, it's over. You, you, it's, you should get out of it uh, while you can. And I think he had been contemplating whether it was time to go already, but that was kind of the final straw. So you had some Republicans who at that time who did what they thought was the Uh, in the best interest of the country above party. And right now, um, it's just everything is is so divided by the parties. Uh, You're not going to see, it doesn't look like any Senate Republicans who are going to do anything comparable.
1: No, or Senate congressmen. And I uh, just this weekend saw the movie Bombshell, uh, which talks about sexual harassment cases at Fox News and Roger Ailes. And I have to tell you, Mick, that the the creation of Fox News and uh the way it uh the way it's acting as like a rallying uh like like a cheerleaders for Donald Trump um uh, has destroyed any uh any how could he any any hope that would there would be like a bipartisan uh cooperative spirit here. Uh and it so it I always say this, that it really does remind me um, of the Johnny Cochran tactics in the O.J. Simpson trial, where it's just you turn, you take anything you can uh, that would uh, undercut the credibility of the prosecution and use it against it, amplify it so you're effectively putting the prosecution on trial. Which is what Johnny Johnny Cochran did. And it's so ironic that many of the people who are now doing this on behalf of Trump are yelling the loudest against Johnny Cochran and denouncing him in real terms. And so I'm I'm at the stage, Mick, uh, I don't know if you've reached this stage, where I feel it is hopeless. The notion of bipartisan spirit in this country is uh, hopeless. I've been spending a lot of time lately reading books about the early uh, years of Obama and his administration, and how he always would um, hearken to this notion of a bipartisanship, which was non-existent then, Mick. I, of I course, don't, of it, course. But he pretended yeah. as though it did, and Democrats invested into that delusion and that dream, and it's shattered now. I, You're absolutely correct. The way you positioned that was it's, it's a defiance of Congress, so you would think that Republicans would join in with their Democratic uh colleagues to defend their institution and instead they're attacking their Democratic colleagues and cheering on Trump as he defies it so
0: to me, that yeah, it's, it's that's that that is a bit of a head scratcher. It's like uh, to briefly circle back to local politics for a second, how you and I have discussed many times. Why are members of the Chicago City Council uh, traditionally so eager to give away their power to the mayor? Yeah. Um, and. Uh, It's a similar kind of thing where you have now members of Congress defending uh, someone who is defying them. Don't they realize that at some point in time, uh, you know, and it may be sooner, it may be later, at some point in time these roles are again going to be reversed. It's going to be Republican leaders of Congress trying to get uh, information, conduct investigations of a Democratic administration, and uh, there's a precedent now for just— uh, you know, using propaganda and attacking their motives, questioning their motives and ignoring the law. So you're absolutely right. I, I to me, all the charges about Ukraine, they're very serious. Um, let the experts handle all that stuff. To me, just taking a half step back, this is the thing that really troubles me. It's just, uh, if we're supposedly a nation of laws and uh, you have One of the political parties uh, basically justifying breaking the laws, breaking uh, even the traditions within their own body uh, for purely partisan reasons. And of course, you know, they're saying that the Democrats are purely partisan uh, in their uh, impeachment inquiries. You know, it's just Ben it just doesn't end well because it's just you can remove this guy from office. Um, and it's just we're going to go through another cycle. I don't know. That, that's the thing that bothers me the most because Trump at some point in time, whether it's, you know, a, a, a year and a half from now or whether it's, you know, five and a half years from now, we'll be out of office. Uh, but I don't see how all this stuff ends. No, it's not going to end uh, well. All
1: right. Let's end this uh, segment on a completely different uh, topic uh I've uh Dennis has always told me I'm not allowed to talk sports but it's the end of the year so let's do a little uh <laughs> a sports summary and uh people may not know this about Mick Dumkey he's a big sports fan he loves football loves northwestern football uh and he's a Chicago Cubs fan. He's a Chicago Bears fan. Uh, he's lately developed a bizarre fondness for my beloved Chicago Bulls, a real <laughs> cry for help. Uh,
0: and so I, I'll admit, my, my Bulls, I, I love the Bulls, but my attention span uh, is fickle with the Bulls. I'll, I'll admit it. I mean, you know, like everybody else, was a rabid fan, didn't like to miss any games during the golden era of the 90s. And then, uh, recent years have been a little flakier, uh, fewer reasons to watch. You get attached to a good player. They ship him out. Uh, no strategy for, uh, seemingly no strategy for rebuilding or success. Um, it's just been frustrating to be a fan. So I've, I kind of shifted more of my attention to college basketball, which I also love. Um, but you're right. This year, for whatever reason, I just decided. You know what? What the heck? Uh, you know, I'm just gonna. I'm just gonna get into them. I'm just gonna stick with them uh, through thick and thin, uh, through a couple s- surprising victories along the way, and many late game collapses. And you know what, Ben? I'm still with them. I'm with I'd them still, uh, I find kind them of very enjoying some of these yeah. young players. No, I'm. So. I'm,
1: I'm found enjoying it. Uh, I will uh, now uh, make a revelation about Mick that he probably doesn't want anyone to know. Uh, I. W- he was. T- texting me excitedly when Zach Levine scored the 49 points against Charlotte. (laughs) Can can you believe it? I was in a restaurant. I'm getting texts from Mick. I'm like, man, slow night at the Dumpkey house. He's watching. uh... (laughs) All right. So here's the question I ask every sports fan that comes on the show, and it is this. Uh, In my humble opinion, the 2019 Chicago Bears are one of the most disappointing teams in the history of chicago sports so much was expected of them and so little was delivered beginning with the opening day loss to green bay on national tv which was hands down the most disappointing loss of the 21st century by a chicago sports team closely followed by the chicago bulls loss in game six in 2015 to the cleveland cavaliers where they just quit they gave up all right that said Here's the question for you, Mick Dunkey, Don't duck and dodge. Was Ryan Pace's decision to trade up to draft Mitch Trubisky as his quarterback when he had Patrick Mahomes there for the taking? Was that the worst decision in the history of Chicago sports by a general manager? Go.
0: <laughs> I will say no, it was not. But that's not to say it was a good decision. (laughs) How about that? Um, You and I warmed up a little bit offline before we started the show. Uh, Full disclosure to all of your fans out there. And uh, as I told you then, I will now announce it publicly. uh, I think the biggest debacle uh, by sports management in my lifetime, the one that hurt personally the most, was the – series of events that resulted in Greg Maddox leaving the Cubs for the Atlanta Braves, uh, after the 1992 season, um, as a, as just a diehard Cubs fan and somebody who loved Maddox. And, uh, I was still relatively young back then, uh, in my early twenties, that one just really stung and it stung, uh, even more for the next 12 years as uh, Atlanta went on to win uh, with Greg Maddox as the leader of that great rotation. They went on to win 14 total division titles in a row, including 12 uh, once Maddox joined the team, while the Cubs just uh, most of that time were sputtering. So that one stings worse. Uh, But I did look up um, the – college the senior year the final year college stats of the of if the Bears are going to draft a quarterback and these are the two guys um they the stats really weren't even close between these two guys um, Holmes threw for more than 5,000 yards his last year at Texas Tech and uh Trubisky not a bad year but he had about 3,800 yards that season and um not knowing much about, I, I am a college football fan, as you as you noted, Ben. So I do follow this stuff, and not I didn't know that much about Trubisky in college, and he only really started for one year. Yeah. So I I'm sure that Pace had some set of reasons, something he saw in Mitch uh, that may still develop and flower. I don't know, uh, but. Just the you know the the basic set of facts I have at my disposal. You have a guy who uh, basically only played uh, every day, you know, every game for one year of college, and he had a very good year. Uh, but he didn't even have the best year of anybody available. And Mahomes um, had uh, started for at least a couple years, so he had not only better numbers but a longer track record at that point in time. So I don't know what he was thinking. The basic of ev- information i have available was that uh that was a bad move and of course in retrospect you know it looks even worse all right well i'd have to say the worst all-time decision
1: uh by the way the greg maddox decision i have a memory 1992 i went to the last (laughs) game of the cubs uh they were playing the pirates and maddox was on the mound he was pitching effortlessly it was one of those typical maddox games and in left field for the pirates uh was barry bonds and he was a free agent, and my friends and I yeah. were, oh man, the Cubs, man, we're gonna have Maddox, we're gonna, let's go get Barry Bonds, let's. <laughs> we were like thinking the Cubs were actually going to sign Barry Bonds. Well, Barry Bonds went to, to San Francisco. It's like. The Cubs. No, that's too radical to sign like the greatest player of his era, right? Mick?
0: No, that... okay, who who what 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 supposed slugger did they sign <laughs> instead of Bonds? Do, do you have any no, This is I a can't really remember. a trivia question. I put it out I of only my... know because I was just brushing up before we went out here. I... But who did they sign? Candy Maldonado. All right, there you
1: go. There, okay. Uh, So that's running neck and neck. Maddox and Bonds combined running. I still say 21st century, hands down, Ryan Pace, worst decision. Absolute. It's going to set back the Bears for at least 10 years. They have no quarterback. And, uh, it's, you know, there's, uh, as a staffer here at the Times, Bank, I won't mention his name, a huge bear fan. Whenever I see him in the hallway, I go, ah, Mitch Trubisky, what a draft choice. And he just grumbles and <laughs> mutters and moans and, uh, such a... anyway, uh, terrible draft. You job. know
0: what? I, I'll just throw this out there, uh, because I'm a Chicago fan. This is the kind of, um, this is the kind of gut feeling I have is that if the bears do not extend, uh, Mitch's deal, and he goes somewhere else, he'll end up being an excellent quarterback. Yeah. That's just the feeling I have. Uh, okay. Yeah,
1: yeah that he'll be like one of those ex-bulls. This is unbelievable. I talk about this all the time. Like Bobby Portis. They when they come back and they play the Bulls, they annihilate the bulls. Suddenly yeah. they're like all, you know, superstars. And then they're thumping their chest and I'm like, where was this when you were on the team? So you're right. I know. Mitch Trubisky will probably come back to Soldier Field and light it up. On the it's, other
0: hand. We, we used to call it the baseball season, we call it the X cub factor, yeah. right? And uh, now it's, I just feel like it's uh, extended to all Chicago teams. It's incredible.
1: All right. It's a rough time for Chicago sports, but uh, I, I have a feeling it'll be a great year ahead. And uh, so, Mick, thank you so much for coming on. I appreciate it. Have a happy new year, all right? Thank you. You too, Ben. All right, that's the great Mick I'm Ben Jarofsky. That's another Ben Jarofsky bonus show. Take care, everybody.